millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of the Cult Popsha podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, get up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, give us something to talk about in the post-credit scenes at the end of each episode, or even contribute to the discussion in the episode itself, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash Welcome along to an episode of the Cold Popshire podcast where we're going to do something a little bit different. My name is AJ and I'm joined by Richard. Mm. Now that's the same so far. That's yep. that's pretty par for the course. He's, I'm he's getting up. to what's different. <laughs> Give him a chance to explain. We, <laughs> we're going to do today what I think might be our first competition certainly our first competition in the form of a podcast right right we've had competitions in our own personal lives and yeah i know and maybe we've done cold popture competitions but this is the first one where like this is this is this episode is the results of a competition yeah well and it's the the fans you know up against each other we've done competitions between me and you yes in the past Yeah, but this is a competition between our listeners and there is a prize involved for, for what we do, we judge as first place. And do we want to let people know what that prize is, Richard? Uh, yeah, we'll send you uh, some cult popshire patches. Mm. Mm. Limited edition. Who would have guessed that could have been the prize? I mean, <laughs> the, the merch we've been trying to 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 move to, to move. Yeah, <laughs> we'll sign. So I'll send you one of my business cards. I've got a stack of business cards <laughs> next to my desk. What else have I got Sorry. around here? Uh, empty McDonald's hot chocolate cup. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. I'll send you a word of the day from my calendar. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> Alrighty, so what this competition is, Richard, is that for for years on our flagship podcast film franchise Fortnites, we've done a segment on there called Continue the Franchise, where whatever the franchise we're talking about that week, we take and we go, we each come to the table with a pitch for a sequel or a continuation in some form, and we've been doing this for years, so we thought, why don't we let the fans have a bloody go um and so we put out the rules on on our social media a couple of days ago that we're looking for sequel pitching so this is a sequel pitching competition where our listeners have sent in pitches for sequels to any of the franchises we've covered some of them were very silly richard and so i did not include them (laughs) in this this final tally i think there's 13 or 14 we're going to get through um and these are the, the you're all winners you know you're all you're all grand finalists if you're yeah. being if your idea is being read out here um it's just only one of you will get a prize <laughs> <laughs> the 
Yeah. So what are we looking for? What's our judging criteria? That's a good question. Okay. I'm looking for, um, oh, we should have <laughs> discussed this. I guess like creativity is a big part of it. It's yeah. it's all well and good to pitch funny ideas. And some of these are, are like, you know, maybe some of these are taken more seriously yeah, than yeah. others. Um, but like it is creativity and what I'm attracted to is reading an idea and being like, you know, that works. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that's sort of what I'm looking for. Right. So it needs to pass the you know that works test. The you know that works test. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So shall we get right into it, Richard? Shall we get stuck in? Yeah, let's do it. All righty. The first pitch we're going to read today was emailed in by Scott Door, And this is what Scott has written. Let's open the Scott Door. <laughs> sure, sure he's heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said brief, but this didn't let me send on Discord because it was too long, so you're getting it in email form. Okay, picture this. Exterior, night. A moonlit island deep in the Caribbean. Waves lap at a white sand beach. The lifeless body of a young, lanky, blonde man lies on the beach. A hermit crab scuttles up to his body and pinches his ear. Youch! The man wakes up and Mm -hmm. violently coughs up sand and seawater. He climbs to his feet, brushes off his white shirt and brown pants. He reaches down his trousers and pulls out a half-eaten corn dog. Hmm. He puts it back in his pants for later. His eyes gaze up to the highest peak of the island. There is a distant flicker of fire. He begins to trek to the top. Atop the hill is an elderly man with pale blue eyes and is staring off into the distant sea below the clifftops, a fire burning behind him, keeping him warm. The man from the beach emerges from the shadows into the light of the fire. Hi, my name's Guybrush Threepwood, and I want to be a pirate. (gasps) Cut to sick-as-fuck Monkey Island theme music and title Pirates of the Caribbean, The Secret of Monkey Island. So this is a sequel to Pirates of the Caribbean that is a crossover with the the Monkey Island video games. Mm. Um, Scott continues, Now that Johnny Depp is well and truly cancelled, Disney will be looking for a way to reboot the franchise with a new direction. They also happen to own Lucasfilm, which made the Monkey Island games so why not merge the two tonally it's a perfect match as the comedy in the two franchises matches up pretty well although monkey island is far more meta but hey you gotta try something different to keep the franchise alive and distract from the fact that you don't have jack sparrow anymore the plot of the first film would follow the plot of the first game which is essentially the same plot as the curse of the black pearl girl he likes with an english accent is kidnapped by a ghost pirate on a ghost ship and taken to a remote island lead must become a pirate in order to save her the puzzle solving aspects would also play a big part in this mcgruber esque escapes from sticky situations so it's essentially deadpool meets mcgruber meets pirates of the caribbean casting wise i could see zach woods as guybrush florence Pugh as elaine and hear me out on this one i reckon jason momoa could do an awesome lechuck like i get the vibe he could do comedy really well in the right role in the much in much the same way channing tatum does that's my pitch cheerio nice I like I I really like Jason Momoa as LeChuck. I'm a mm. big fan of Curse of Monkey Island, which is the third ah, game. I'm very unfamiliar with the Monkey Island. Games. I've I, I during lockdown last year, I downloaded all I think five at that point games, mm-hmm. and there's there's Return to Monkey Island due this year right yeah so yeah. five five games, and then I played the first one, and it was so different from the third one that I was like ah. 
<laughs> Fair enough. I will say I do think, despite not knowing much about the character of LeChuck, that uh, Jason Momoa is a shoo-in for a Pirates of the Caribbean sequel. Yeah. Um, and what what I like about this pitch, Richard, is that as it started, I was like, this is just, like, Scott's clearly just a fan of Monkey Island and mm. wanted to, like you know this is me being cynical like just wanted to pitch a monkey island thing and was mm. like i'll i'll shoot in pirates of the caribbean but the way that he got me actually was by bringing up that disney is owns lucasfilm mm. and lucasfilm famously make these games yeah that's such a good idea and you thought you, you know? know what that could work <laughs> it could work <laughs> do you have any other questions or or do you have any critiques of this idea i guess uh i i think i would say that you know, we're, it's early days, so I, and I actually haven't read any of these. So, not knowing what's coming up, you know, this one is a little bit of a meme. There is general, uh, genuine, you know, love behind it for this for mm. this franchise. Mm. But yeah, I, I I do get the sense that it's you know wanting just wanting a Monkey Island video movie and putting mm. that into the pre-existing framework of <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure, sure. All right. Well, shall we move on to the next one, Richard? Do you want to read out our next submission? Mm -hmm. So this comes to us from Ben Close, who says, Hi, guys. I pray. Might be a little clue there. I pray you enjoy my pitch. <laughs> I am pitching a film known as He is Surely a He's Surely Alive, a sequel to films, which I'm sure you can guess. <laughs> Very he's recent. surely yes he's surely alive follows a young youth named yavin it's <laughs> very specific name yeah jeez i i thought when i read over this i thought it might be a pun but i couldn't find yeah or is it, is it just javin javin let's call him javin <laughs> or Haven. yeah so uh i'm gonna call him yavin Okay. Named Yavin Shepherd in an American megachurch whose faith is questioned when guest spe speaker Pastor Dave gives a sermon that uh, Yavin, I forgot, I already forgot what I was committing to for the name, <laughs> had written himself. The following is the setup and inciting incident of this film, which I wrote with far more passion than I was anticipating. Yavin had worked hard writing up a devotion which he was required to give to his megachurch high school class. However, when printing it out, a mighty gust of wind blew through the room and his notes went flying out the window. Unbeknownst to Yavin, Pastor Dave acquired his notes which fell out of the sky and directly onto the ground upon which he was walking. After hearing the sermon that very next Sunday morning, Yevon appro humbly approaches Pastor Dave after noting, donating $20 to his travel fund and asks where he got the idea for his sermon from. Pastor Dave simply states divine inspiration and moves on to the next patron. I, I see where Ben is going with this now. <laughs> um, curious, uh, Yevon walks up to the culprit and finds damning evidence. The his pulpit, sorry. Oh, this is, sorry, the, the pulpit. pulpit. <laughs> uh, and finds damning evidence, his very notes that he had lost to the wind. In an uncharacteristic outbird, outburst, Yavin picks up and notes and picks up the notes and shouts, Liar! The remaining patrons are bewildered. Pastor Dave diffuses the situation by shouting back with prayers as he walks up to Yavin. May the heavens of God be upon you. Pastor Dave rips the notes from Yavin's hand and presses firmly on Yavin's chest. And I say unto thee, spirits of anger, in the name of Jesus, be gone. Pastor Dave forcefully pushes against Yavin, who 
falls to the ground. Gasps are heard among the crowd and Pastor Dave announces, praise the Lord. Let all you here bear witness to this unwelcome spirit of anger, which has been slain in the name of Jesus. Wow. He helps Yavin up and promptly pulls him backstage where he grabs Yavin by the collar and presses him against the wall, threatening to ostracize him from the church should he ever claim to have originated the idea of the sermon. He then pulls out a lighter and burns the notes in front of Yavin. Yavin is speechless. Wow. Pastor Dave decides to double down and publish his sermon as a series of 40 tweets, citing that the words were given him to him directly from the heavens above. It goes on to become the highest voted faith-based tweet on the platform, earning much fame and fortune for Pastor Dave. The meat of the film is Gavin wrestling with the fact of what has happened to him and questioning his faith. He was convinced that God is real. He is surely alive, he says to himself. But as he delves deeper and deeper into his philosophical questions, he discovers truth about himself, about God, and about the biggest, fattest liar of all, Reverend Dave. The title of the film is actually Biggest, Fattest Liar. However, the film becomes widely known as She's He's Surely Alive, as the film's posters feature the tagline in a much larger and more prominent font than the title itself. <laughs> i hope you enjoyed i imagine in some light life of brian-esque humor in the third act with some non-violent pranks perpetrated against the megachurch and reverend dave maybe paul giamatti has a cameo if he's feeling generous i leave much of the story up to your wise interpretation warmest regards being close i i enjoyed that and i like that i hadn't read that beforehand as well um i i when i saw that ben close had sent it a pitch i was going to comment that it's like oh, i bet it's you know <laughs> big fat liar or agent cody banks and but then i was like you know what? i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt <laughs> i shouldn't have uh and but at least this is at least his most creative way of shoehorning big fat liar into mm. a- well and also like the fact that you know he's not necessarily swindling us because we've also covered big fat liar so yeah exactly if it is if it is a, if it is truly a sequel to um big fat liar which you know, because yeah. he said you, he didn't, he never actually said it was a sequel to God's Not Dead. No, yeah. So I think um, while this is uh, a silly entry, it is also very well thought out, um, and I liked I liked the twist there, and I like I like how how much he's um, he's like I think a good contender franchise from like our perspective is one where we like just make up the real world ramifications of what would happen. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, he talks yeah. about how like it it um the title of the film is actually biggest fattest liar but it comes widely known as he's surely alive as the film's poster features the tagline yeah. in a much larger font like that's so something we would say in a continue the franchise pitch. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah good stuff ben all righty the next one we've got here is from macaulay quinn and he says um i'd love to see new a new gremlins one that's closer in tone to the first film than its sequel um that is more horror comedy than comedy horror the way i would do it i'd try to position the mogwai almost like a natural disaster a force of nature they're wild animals they hit hard and fast and they're there one minute and gone the next oh like locusts like some kind of plague um (laughs) A small midwestern town is hosting their 
tricentennial celebrations, an event which is bringing in a lot of different people, press, tourists, etc, etc. We spend the first act getting acquainted with the town and with the cast. A stoic cattle farmer who lives just outside of town, the big fish in a small pond mare, a visiting reporter, a married couple on the brink of divorce taking one final family vacation, uh, scattered throughout our hints of mayhem to come. Um, slaughtered cattle, disassembled parade parade floats. Uh, the, the first act ends with the party in full swing when suddenly chaos, a gremlin appears and tears the hand off a drunkard. I haven't heard the word drunkard in a long time. <laughs> um, people begin to panic, trying to escape the vicious little monster, but find their path blocked by another one of the creatures. Suddenly there are dozens of the things, then hundreds. The chaos effectively splits the cast off into small groups, and we spend the rest of the film ping-ponging between them all as they try to survive till sunup. My favourite thing about this is that this could so easily be a lot closer in tone to Gremlins 2. <laughs> <laughs> right sure yeah 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 it's you're so right i like that um macaulay's provided us with like a plot structure and characters and you know like a setting you know the not all of these have that so i think yeah. this is a really good idea um, i think yeah, the, you- the, the pitching the mogwai as being like a force of nature is kind of I mean, even even though I think he's trying to move away from Gremlins 2 here, it, it is sort of like an evolution of that where there's, mm. you know, shitloads of them. It could also be like a metaphor for COVID. And then we've got a, a mm. current film. It's got a current message. Mm. Um, Richard, the next pitch we've got is also a Gremlins 3 pitch, which is why I put them next to each other because I thought it was funny that multiple people sent us gremlins three pitches of all franchises we've done um do you want to read that one out sure thanks this is from mike noise gremlins three the next generation billy is now a dad and has a teenage kid of his own his kid discovers that he has been keeping gizmo safe all these years he also lives up in alaska where the sun goes down for months at a time the kid befriends gizmo and accidentally gets him wet at the beginning of the three month long nighttime i like that very nice Gremlin hijinks ensues with no chance of sunlight ending the terror. You can introduce the quirky characters of the small town and they can all team up to fight the gremlin onslaught. I like the idea that this is like, it would be similar in tone to like Insomnia, the Chris or Nolan th- film. 30 Days of Night, the mm. vampire movie. Yeah. I think we could combine Mike and Macaulay's Gremlins three ideas into one. Yeah. Like Macaulay specified a small Midwestern town. Why not make this this three month night? in alaska you know mm, or it just happens in the midwest in the small town yeah. <laughs> yeah no i think these could work i think these both could work and they almost sound um they're almost both uh like too accurate to what i imagine the eventual gremlins 3 will actually look like yeah 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 <laughs> Um, our next one is from Tyler, who emailed in, and he. this is what Tyler has pitched to us. Um, in what Vin Diesel hopes will be the next step in evolution of film, two of the most iconic characters of time will meet of all, of all time will meet in Riddick's Fury. Uh, and he specified, legally, this has to be in all caps. Returning as the cold, dark, emotionless, and blind Riddick, Diesel teams up with Diesel in what critics are calling the dumbest, smelliest jumble of crap in modern times, oh boy is this thing dumb <laughs> when dom toretto holds the keys to riddick's face but is off world <laughs> over fate. 10 trillion what did i say face 
<laughs> oh, sorry. Um, holds the key to Riddick's fate, but is off-world over 10 trillion light years away. Riddick shows there is only one way to get there. In some shitty, lore-heavy, but brand new plot device, likely dropped in more than halfway through the <laughs> film, Riddick discovers how to transport himself to Earth. Toretto would be midway through some wicked-as-shit high-stakes driving when thing when, when who should land in his passenger seat? Riddick. After they argue and pull weapons on each other, Toretto would decide Riddick was family or some shit and agree to accompany him back to the home, to his home world with like a super Vin Diesel delivery of a line like you need a ride <laughs> Dom would then go would would then go with Toretto his way across space with Riddick um, to kick the shit out of whatever goons were harassing him and finish the film unscathed. Long emotional goodbye where off camera Vin Diesel kept persisting the two characters should totally make out and we wrap it up. Shot in 35mm. <laughs> uh, P.S. My favourite dunk of 2021 was on the Riddick episode when AJ imitated Vin Diesel. Oh, we've just got to shoot in 35mm. Ha ha, like fuck dude. It's Riddick who gives a shit. <laughs> nice. So there. Yeah yeah that's now that's my favorite dunk of 2022 <laughs> I, I love the way this is written that it's it's like i don't mean to like insult tyler but it's it's kind of written like someone who would enjoy this film that's <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like yeah and then he, of- or, or like how i imagine the writer's room for like the fast and furious mm. movies is where it's like and then he does some fucking wicked car chase shit <laughs> <laughs> stoned ramblings and they think they've got like a real good idea yeah and, <laughs> and not that it's not a good idea yeah but, but it's I, also I it's also written like an ad for the film as well which is fun yeah yeah i don't think it could work though i don't think this would one thing, one question I have is: Do Dom and Riddick acknowledge that they look exactly the same? Is that part of the film? They, they, no, I don't think so. Mm. I think Tyrese Gibson would point it out. <laughs> now it works. <laughs> <laughs> right? Do you want to read out our next one, which is of similar ilk? Mm, so this is very long. It's from <laughs> a bit more cheese. <laughs> I'm just going to chuck some paragraphs at here one second. <laughs> they were originally paragraphs in this, but then he had to resend it because he got some things wrong. Right. And then for some reason, the resend version wasn't paragraphed. <laughs> it still looks so long. <laughs> well, unreadable. It looks longer now because you put page breaks in. Yeah. Well, the full stop. Here we go and check another one here all right (laughs) bit more cheese fast and furious 10 has been announced and started filming it's already lost its director which means the script and plot are likely up for grabs strap in babes Charlie's Theron rises again and offers a threat so insurmountable, so dastardly, so unexplainable. Their only option is to go back in time and kill her parents. It will be worse than her haircut. <laughs> There's emotional scenes where everyone posts whichever ch- movie Shelley started and realizes history will change and they'll no longer be part of the family. Vin uh. Diesel, grump, that's a, that's a good, um, good stakes. Vin Diesel grumbles something about them always being family and whatever happens, they'll all get back together. Ludacris and Natalie Emmanuel figure out time travel after Tyrese comes across the word singularity and asks what it means. (laughs) (laughs) 
There's a whole montage where they computer their way into inventing a time machine and must use the oldest car they could find because it has a piece of, I don't know, we all this DNA on it. Michelle Rodriguez <laughs> says something angrily and John Cena is also there frowning. Sun Kang and Gal Gadot express apprehension at killing someone's parents when it could potentially influence them and try to mess with Ludacris's code. Finally, they hop in the old cars, turn time machines and hit that NOS to zoom into the past. Everyone appears, but shock, dismay. Gal, Sung, John and Michelle are in the 1970s without everyone else. They head to Shelley's to find Charlize's parents but run into Vin's Willem Dafoe and Olivia Coleman, brilliant casting <laughs> Vin, Luda, Natalie and Tyrese appear in an unknown time Team 1970s go on a classic car filled quest only to discover that Vin and Charlize were switched at birth and she's actually the daughter of Dafoe and Coleman who are evil and they have a classic car chase to get baby Vin Diesel back who obviously doesn't cry just grumbles <laughs> I'm imagining like the baby from Son of the Mask I'm imagining it's just Vin Diesel film with forced perspective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, two group two find themselves slightly further back and are approached by Bill Nighy, a sinister British scientist who is enamored with Vin's charger. He spots how powerful the armor is on it and Luda informs it, uh, him that he was the one who tricked it out into basically a tank. Tyrese and Ludacris are hired by Bill Nye to help with some of his designs. There's a war on. It's the 1940s. Vin and Natalie, who have no on-screen chemistry, <laughs> uh, don't trust Bill Nye and go into his house to investigate. It slowly dawns on them that Bill Nye is working for the Germans and the camera switches to Ludacris, who has just unwillingly, in- unwittingly invented the Tiger II. They're immediately arrested by a German troop led by Daniel Brühl. He has a strained relationship with his chief advisor, a World War I veteran and chemist, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fortunately, Tyrese's sense of humor and general demeanor uh, led them to form an alliance with Schwarzenegger, who of course ends up betraying the Germans. In the 1970s, Coleman and Defoe get the upper hand and are clearly toying with our heroes, blasting them with various weaponry during a high-speed chase through the mountains. They're carrying baby Vin the whole time, who bites Coleman's finger. <laughs> Vin and Natalie meet up with an escaping ludicrous Tyrese and Arnold who managed to flee Arnold's underground laboratory in his native Alpine village where he's been experimenting with jet propulsion on standard automobiles. Tyrese comments that it's like the NOS they use and Arnold asks what he's talking about leading to Ludacris inventing NOS. <laughs> this is used to end up saving the day at the last minute blowing Bill Nye and Daniel Brawl sky high as their tanks invade the village. Flash forward to the 1970s. Defoe and Coleman are telling them how they'll turn baby Vin into an agent of evil. However, as Sung and Gal find a family tree revealing that Bill Nye is Olivia Coleman's father and Brule, and as Brule and Nye blow up in the 1940s, Coleman disintegrates and a shock Defoe drops her from drops from their helicopter letting go of baby Vin Diesel who is caught by a diving John Cena who vanishes into the flaming helicopter wreckage. He sacrifices himself to save his brother. Those in the wow. 40s flash forward to the 70s to witness Cena's death not knowing how to find Vin's and not knowing how to find Vin's parents put him up for adoption saying he'll one day find his family. Getting back to the present, the remaining family members besides Tyrese and Luda are all separated and have never met due to the time meddling nor have they had to battle Charlize. Wow. Tyrese and Ludacris hunt down Schwarzenegger's descendant in the Alps. AJ, choose your own actor here. I'm so tired. Um, let's go. Adam Driver. Um, no, no. I want to. I want to. I need to stop relying on Adam Driver. Um, let's go. Uh, Adam Scott. <laughs> <laughs> what about Michael Fassbender? 
Sure, let's do it. Who takes them to a beer hall during Oktoberfest. Their all surviving family members happen to be vacationing at the same place and meet for the first time, becoming friends. Vin, at the end of the night, is at the bar drinking a Corona and says to Michelle how it feels like he knew her in another life and she tells him she already feels like their dot 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 family. So let's, there's a couple of things maybe we should ignore here. One is that um, we've already seen uh, Dominic Toretto's father in F9. <laughs> um, and the other is that Gal Gadot's character has been dead for four movies. <laughs> um, but what I will say about this is that while while ridiculous, if they were going to do a Fast and Furious about time travel, I imagine this is exactly what it would be. Oh, so yeah. points for, for accuracy, I guess. This, and you this know feels what? feels like it's exactly right. I'll say it. Mm-hmm. That could work. <laughs> I think that was brilliant. Thank you a bit, much, Chase. That was... Thank, uh, you, thank you so much. Yeah, it was very, very well thought out. And I, I mm. you know, when you're actually able to sort of visualize the entire movie on your head, that was great. Mm. Aaron from The Swamp um, has messaged us and said, another idea for a Frozen sequel. It's kind of mentioned in the podcast when you reference Firepowers, and there are still elements that need ironing out with this concept. So as the podcast mentioned, thematically the first movie was all about winter, whilst Frozen 2 featured more autumnal imagery. The natural progression... Autumnal such a good word. It is such a good word. The natural progression of this would make sense to feature either summer or spring. For my pitch, I would suggest summer and a clash between the two seasons. The main antagonist also female would be Elsa's summer equivalent and their own journey through the movie would mirror Elsa's character development through the first and second film i.e. the antagonist personality would exhibit typical negative summer traits such as hot-headedness short temper overly intense outbursts of emotion and they are largely misunderstood for these qualities however however Elsa et al would primarily consider this character their adversary blaming them for causing extreme heat temp rises and their environmental fallout that occurs from this until they realize how their this character's struggle with their powers and emotions etc is a direct reflection of Elsa's own experiences and soon understand that they were unwittingly expressing the same millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Execution Elsa likewise received. There's just there's just something in there about women and how we're largely conditioned not to express anger or displeasure with other people or the world that I feel could be captured so effectively with a summer-powered character. Again, it could be another way of sending the message to children, not just girls, of the importance of not repressing these negative emotions, quote-unquote negative um, emotions, to please others, while also not letting these feelings overwhelm us or dictate our lives at the same time, a la Inside Out, Turning Red, etc., I also like the idea that just because a character thematically represents summer, that doesn't necessarily mean they default to sunshiny and cheerful. Uh, nice. This is a great idea. This is what Frozen 2 should have been. Yeah, it's it's full of that kind of, I mean, you know, like she mentioned, the inside out turning red kind of thing. That it's, yeah, these mm. messages that Disney, these more kind of mature messages that 
Disney's mm. starting to send in their animated movies. And yeah, yeah, I think you know what, it could work. Um, it could work, and I'm shocked that Frozen Two didn't feature the antithesis to Elsa as a character. Mm. Like that feels so obvious. I guess they had the fire lizard was supposed to be the opposite. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You want to read the next one? Yeah. So this comes to us from Martin, my dog. Austin Powers, Sky High Fall. <laughs> After realizing the true terrors of modern 2002 international spying, Austin retires to India. He becomes a mojo guru <laughs> and for the next 20 years works on what he considers to be his magnum opus, the Kama Sutra 2. It flops <laughs> completely and is thrust back into the spy world when he no longer has anything left. On his mission, he finds Dr. Evil's headquarters has to be re- relocated to Colorado in the world's tallest building. Dr. Evil's plan this time is to release Colorado's weed supply to the atmosphere through the building and make the world perpetually high and maybe they'll actually take him effing seriously this time it's freaking seriously (laughs) austin his (laughs) his female partner (laughs) austin his female partner polyamorous (laughs) and her husband climbed that's so good (laughs) and her husband climbed the building and managed to defeat dr evil but are unable to stop (laughs) to stop the weed from being thrust into the atmosphere however austin takes the opportunity to tell the now forever baked people of the world about the power of peace and love and the and world peace is finally gained having finally achieved his life goal austin sits back in dr evil's chair and smiles oh yeah baby while holding hands with polly and her husband on either side of him that's so good this is so good this is so good and here's why first of all there's several jokes in here that i feel would be in an austin powers movie the The karma Karma sutra Sutra (laughs) 2 of course of course that would be what it was i love this i love polyamorous i love the idea of like who would you get to play the husband of polyamorous um uh james marsden (laughs) who was in um that's good who was in um in uh hobbs and shaw the like ryan reynolds opposite kevin hart no 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 um rob delaney rob delaney that's totally who i'm thinking of yeah yeah rob delaney or even um um oh who was it <laughs> anyway i'm just excited about that this idea it's so good um i think that the the i like the idea if if, if austin's character arc is that through the Kama Sutra 2, he hoped to like inspire peace and love, mm. like ultimately the world over, but failed at that because the Kama Sutra 2 flopped, but he achieves it at the end. That's a fucking character arc, you know? Yeah. Like it works so well. And also I think, the, the um, whole like retiring to India. I mean, it's what happens in Johnny English as well, but like, yeah, that's, mm. that, and then, you know, you could make a joke about the love guru in there as well. Mm, yeah, exactly. I think the only thing I would change is maybe the title. I, it, I'm only just realizing now it's a Skyfall parody. It made me think of Sky High. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe like Highfall or something like that. Yeah. For, I don't know. But, but no, I love this idea. It's such a good idea. It's so good. It's so, it's so finger on the pulse. It could work. It could work. <laughs> 
Our next one is from Timar Tabor one two three, and they have said thought experiment: What would the Seven Samurai to Magnificent Seven franchise setting transformation be for the Dollars trilogy and twenty twenty two movie plus movie industry? Now, I've I've read a bit of this idea, and what he's meaning by this is that the Seven Samurai is a, is a Japanese feudal Japan samurai movie, and the Magnificent Seven is a Western. So he's saying like, if the Dollars trilogy is a Western. What is the transposed idea yeah. in another culture? I guess, and this is what he's pitching: the Salary slash Lost Legionnaire trilogy. Um, so right. this is a, I guess, a sequel to the Dollars or Man with No Name trilogy. Yeah, yeah, remake, yeah, remakes, yeah. All three are directed by Michael Bay or Zack Snyder. <laughs> okay, <laughs> point being, a kind of dude bro director who can infuse a '90s big dumb blockbuster five uh, vibe, and distributed by MGM slash Amazon Prime Video as a streaming exclusive, since MGM owns all of United Artists IP, and I think Amazon bought them last I checked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Given <laughs> getting some industry knowledge here. The genre is historical epic. Will be referred to ironically as a hamburger epic by TikTok and Facebook influencers we bribed with marketing budget. Great. <laughs> Composed by Howard Shaw includes a reprise of the good, the bad, and the ugly m- music remixed to fit with a Roman setting. Mm. All shot in Italy and released in reverse chronological order. Tonally and historically ac- accuracy-wise, it will be like Braveheart. Jeff Bezos has given us a check of 147 million dollars us your us dollars per film for a day's salary is the first one um an italian and vatican city market title is de salarium an unnamed legionnaire and his roman army adam beach all italian province roman characters are played by unknown actors from midwestern native american cultures um so uh this this legionnaire and his roman army intervenes in a conflict between uh, gallic tribes of arvini and Belgae to save a besieged roman gallic settlement <laughs> historical context this is so long historical <laughs> context um romans commonly had c- had coercive alliances with local gallic tribes that are semi-similar to the 17th century portuguese colonized colon, col- congolese colonialism <laughs> that is commonly used to acquire precious metals the legionnaire has an era appropriate helmet sword and shield he earns in the film a michael bayfield version a michael bayified version sorry of a three-way roman war battle replaces the gunslinging moments of the original film the legionnaire is ordered to leave his post by a disgruntled roman senate in the end the legionnaire is given the name uncrowned king by his army after they declare victory one of the older Roman Gallic leaders taking the natural taking the narrative place of innkeeper character is stunt casted as Clint Eastwood. Cue endless fan speculation <laughs> that this is a reverse of the Gladiator 2 screenplay situation with the man with no name. So I guess that the man with no name lived forever. Yeah. The second one is called For Another Day's Salary or Nam Alias Dia Salarium Salarium in Italian and Vatican City markets. What do you think the Vatican City market is like? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, a younger version of the Legionnaire teams up with a pompous Roman senator nicknamed Etna for his explosive anger to hunt down a bandit robbing from the poor of Rome. They clash akin to a buddy cop duo due to the divide between their aristocratic senate and army-based populist view of Roman society. The town fashions the Legionnaire a helmet with the medal he retrieves. The Legionnaire goes by the soldier, by his superiors, and Mars by local peasants. And finally, Logos, Ethos, and some pay- Pathos, or uh, Logos, Ethos, Et Quidam Pathos in uh, Italy and Vatican City. Uh, a snobby upper crust member of Roman high society is casted out by political rivals and forced to live in dregs of the Roman ghettos in the province of Macedonia, thus forcing him to form a, pl- form a plucky Roman legion with African with an African grifter as his second in command that goes by the name Penelope, played by Aisha Tyler. Um, And they've specified here, in the Roman province sense of the word, i.e. area that occupies modern-day Tunisia. She is our Tuco Riff, right? So she's not African, as we might think, but the Roman version of African. The graveyard graveyard treasure MacGuffin is now the tomb of Alexander the Great that has enough wealth to build the young outcast a mighty army that would go unmatched in the whole of Rome. Penelope wants the wealth to aid the poor of the empire. The main corrupt senator that did the deed is our angelized role with studi the the three-way duel is a three-way sword duel and the bit with tuco the bit with the bit with the Tuco equivalent being spared is played off as a kinky knife fight, implying a new romance angle to the dynamic. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. This is the only scene with a female character we let Bay direct himself. Everything else is second unit. <laughs> <laughs> The Legionnaires is simply called Barbarian here, reflecting his low social class until we cut to a post-credit scene taking place after for a day's salary where the Legionnaire stands trial in Rome and states his full name, Gaius Julius Caesar. Full series credits, think the nostalgic credits thing they do in Shrek the Final Chapter, reveals the names for Etna and and Penelope as Pompey and Capernia, respectively. All right. Not only could this work, with some tweaking, these don't even have to acknowledge the the movies you're ripping off. I think yeah, Tim. Yeah. I think I think you've just you've just pitched us a legitimate screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean like it, it is funny that it's like because you know, not having read this in advance, I was like Okay, all right. We got like how do how do these like samurai western movies look in like a in today's modern big dumb blockbuster? And then you pitch mm. us this like quite well researched, <laughs> like <laughs> very uh, you know you could have said this was directed by you know Ridley Scott or something like that, and I wouldn't have been like these seem a bit stupid for. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, if like, anything, it seems a bit smart for Zack Snyder or Michael Bay. Well, maybe Michael Bay, but yeah. No, yeah, you're right, actually. Zack Snyder could do it. Yeah. Well, the next one is also surprisingly a man with no name. Continue the franchise. This is, it's such Would an interesting like insight this? into yeah, everyone's, yeah. like, what, what people think about and also just, like, each person's sense of humour and, mm. like, because clearly this, the, the, the ancient Rome stuff is something that Tim Artabor is clearly very interested in or yeah. <laughs> or just decided to do a lot of research for this. But yeah, no, it's, it's very, very fascinating. So mm. Greg from the Kingdom of Sleep said, all right, so hear me out. <laughs> okay, all right, you've got your platform, Greg. 
Modern reimagining of Yojimbo slash Fistful of Dollars. Instead of a gunslinger coming into a town with two rival gangs, you have a mercenary coming into a small, small nation war zone being fought over private military corporations, and you station the protagonist as having some kind of old school human approach to combat where these PMCs are just there for profit. Same plot beats and pacing if it ain't broke, right? I, I wouldn't say Fistful of Dollars is necessarily not broke. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but make the make the protag ex US military so it plays up honor and selflessness and they'll damn near finance the whole thing. Call it something punchinary like mm. the mercenary or seal or war zone. Mm. If you want to be really cynical, put it in a nameless Europe East put it in a nameless Eastern European setting and really push the dign- dignity of these civilians. And honestly, I'm making myself a little sick at this point. Yeah, I'm getting a little sick as well, and I feel like this would fit better maybe 10 years ago when this stuff kind of flew under the radar a little more than it would now. They're probably called like American propaganda now. Um, Yeah, I mean, this could have been, you know, Michael Bay 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Vinny from TPE has suggested Neon Genesis Evangelion 1 plus 1, I am not your pilot, uh, set in the rebuild timeline between 1.11 and 2.22. We follow the American branch of Nerve and the weeks before their base was destroyed in a mysterious explosion. We follow our main protagonist, Abel, as he is picked by the Marduk Institute to be the pilot of Ava Unit 4. Coming from a military family background, Abel feels the perfect candidate to pilot an Ava. He passes every single test with flying colours. What he doesn't know is that he is so good because the angel inside of his Ava wants to get stronger and stronger before striking and wiping the base off the face of the Earth. What do you think? Nice. I'm I, I really struggling li- to remember bits and pieces of what Vinny's talking about. Uh, I really like the idea of exploring other like branches of, of Nerve. And mm-hmm. I think Hideaki Anno has said, like, I'm leaving Ava, but I don't think this is the end of Ava. And I think this is how you mm. would continue that, you know, mm. have someone else take over and do something like this. And the idea of the Ava being an angel and working against what Abel thinks is, you know, working towards. And also I like the idea, the fact that Abel's a biblical reference as well. True. I mean, quite a loaded biblical reference as well, because he dies in the Bible. Wow. Quite. It's probably the most famous thing about the character of Abel. Mm. Um, Well, he's got a brother. I know that. Yeah, exactly. Who kills him? Oh my God. That's the most, that's the most famous thing about the brother. (laughs) One thing I like that, that Vinny's done here is he's, he's taken advantage of the very sort of eclectic titling scheme of the Evangelion movies by Mm. calling this one plus one, which is totally what it would be called if it was a a midquel. Yeah. 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 And, and also like, yeah, you'd have the plus series, you know? Yeah, exactly. Gotta say Vinny, genuinely good idea (laughs) don't don't know what more to say about it um nick do you want to read the next one uh yep so this is cgb who this is for lethal weapon lethal weapon an untitled sequel that ignores the events of four primarily because i haven't seen it and i don't have much interest (laughs) in it there's a lot of talk about cell phones. <laughs> it ignores the the advent of cell phones. <laughs> uh, Riggs and Murtar, determining that they were both too old for this shit, have retired. 
They both work security part-time at the Grove Outdoor Mall in Los Angeles. Through a series of mishaps and job screw-ups, mostly on the part of Riggs and not the reluctant Murtar, the two undercover a heist plot to steal diamonds from a high-end jewellery store. The team are professionals, so they know that they have to bring this matter to the police. However, this is no longer Riggs and Murtar's police department. People who were rookies when the pair retired are now promoted or up or have moved away, and furthermore, technology rules the day. There's those cell phones. The they regard these two dinosaurs who come in talking about a diamond heist as simply missing the action of the old days through a combination of hilarious antics and some technical slash hacking assistance from Riggs's child, a new character played, let's say, played by a late aughts Disney kid who wasn't up to much. Um, <laughs> and Murtar's martial arts teacher grandchild, same. The two will provi- will prove to the world that they are still a dot 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 lethal weapon. To be honest, I ran out of steam precisely during that last sentence. Nice. I like I like this idea. I think though that I thought this was going somewhere with like you know you you go and then turns out the modern day police department that you were gonna it was gonna be more of like a a cab sort of thing, but then. Mm. And I think you could you could definitely put that stuff in there. I don't I don't think the the lethal weapon estate would necessarily go for that. To be honest. Yeah, and I, if you look at those lethal with the old lethal weapon movies, you're probably not going to have Riggs and Murtar coming in and being like, "Wow, the cops are racist now." <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not sure this could work. I'm going to first time in the podcast. I'm going to say this. I think that I think. And they're probably both literally too old for this shit. Like, well, there is still the talk of a Lethal Weapon five. Yeah, that's true. as like as recently as the last year or two. But the I think the director died. So, like, what yeah. what better proof do you have that the characters or the franchise is literally too old for this shit when the director has died? <laughs> yeah, but I do. I like the idea though of a, a diamond heist, which is such like an old school crime, mm-hmm. and then no one kind of believing them that it's like, you know, you go there and they're like, look, we're just, we're disc jockeys, you know, most of the time, like it's Mm. police work. Isn't about diamond heists, you know, it's about police work used to mean something, but now ever since, ever since the, the, the woke got in control, ever since Joe Biden became president, (laughs) everything's too woke now. And we're not allowed to do, to solve diamond heists anymore. Yeah. That'd be so funny if a movie came out. It was like that, like an an old school defense of cops. <laughs> um. Finally, our final submission is from Swagnangela Josh, who is pitching. Um. They say I'm not sure on the title, so Evil Dead Four: Army of Darkness Two. It's a Wonderful Dead. <laughs> I actually quite like that. Um. Ash wakes up in a big bed with both of his hands next to his wife Linda. He is in. He is the regional manager of S Mart. He has two kids and a dog. Ash knows that something is wrong. Everyone plays it off. He's crazy. They all go to a fancy ski resort and celebrate Ash's 40 years at Esmart. A big party, Scotty, Shelley, and Cheryl are there. Ash opens his gifts. It's the Necronomicon. The book laughs at him. Everyone else at the party is a deadite, including the kids and dog. The rest of the movie is them torturing Ash as he fights them off through throughout basically the Overlook Hotel. <laughs> Ash wins... Um, goes to and goes to sleep at the end. Wakes up and it's revealed to be a midquel that happens in his dream after Army of Darkness. Bruce Campbell wins the Oscar and everyone cries. That it's a bit of a haberdashery of ideas there, but the the it's a wonderful dead did make me think you, that this was going to go more into that um the world of Ash was never alive. 
mm. territory, you know, what would the world look like? And maybe it is that. Maybe we can fold that into it. But I think it could more or less work. I th- I wonder if um, Ash vs. Evil Dead, the TV show, like covered a lot of this, though. Right, yeah. I haven't seen it. I was in it. Yeah, I, I was just about it. to say, you beat me to it. I have, I've looked, I've tried to watch the scene I'm apparently in and I cannot see me. <laughs> all righty well that is is the final um submission from from our our finalists congratulations to everyone involved for, for making it as far as the finalists um and i guess now we're going to crown a winner and i'm leaning what are you feeling i i think we've got a top three okay. in my mind what are our top three? Which which actually were read one after the other. <laughs> and I want to say this is Bit More Cheese's Fast and Furious Time Travel Adventure, mm-hmm. Aaron from the Swamp's Frozen sequel, mm-hmm. and Martin My Dog's Austin Powers Sky High Fall. Mm. We are, I feel like Tim R. Tarbell is getting the, the short end of the stick here because... Um, it's too good. <laughs> I, th- I think, Tim, your idea is too good for the requirements. And so I'm willing to, to agree with you on our top three, Richard. What are you thinking? We can, we can add Tim into the into the um, top four. Well, I don't I think I think I know who I would give it to. Right. Who I'd give first place to. All right. Do we need and to I'm... like have a censored <laughs> chat? No, we can just do it on part. Oh, I guess we can, yeah. <laughs> well, then who else well, I, is for then? I just don't want to argue that like I, someone's idea is worse than someone else's on sure pod. sure i think that the one that um it has uh all the hallmarks of a good continue the franchise plus it's um it's quite creative in and of itself without um like it, it pulls from elements while also being its own thing um i'm i gotta give it to martin my dog austin powers sky high fall i yeah that that's what i'm leaning towards as well <laughs> i think just when i read polly amorous and the fact mm. and then even just mentioning her and her husband you don't mm. have to explain the joke there yeah you know? it's good writing yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and i think i think what else i love about that is like a modern like like this is an austin powers movie that could work today 20 years after the last one mm. and a modern a modern austin powers movie would have a character called polyamorous yeah and, and, like, and it'll be lean into how times have changed and the, yeah they'd, they'd be a non-binary character i'm sure as well and austin sure. would be very respectful of their pronouns yeah yeah and the whole film would be surprisingly very progressive and and show that like you can make sex jokes and have horny characters without your characters committing sex crimes Mm. because (laughs) because i think as well that like one of the things that we don't always necessarily take advantage of but one of the kind of when we when we first came up with the idea of continue the franchise the idea of this podcast we Mm. said the continue the franchise has to come out now and i think And, you know, we've that, let that slip in the years. Yeah, we've, we, we let it slip sometimes, and sometimes it's just not super relevant because the movie's not that old. But mm. th- this one is like really taking advantage of being a twenty years later sequel. Yeah, yeah. Without without getting bogged down on something like, you know, the whole film is the search for Austin Powers. It's like he's back, yeah, yeah. baby, and this is the adventure he's going on. But this is, but it does explain where he's been. Yeah, I love it. I love the Kama Sutra too. I love polyamorous. I love um, the the character arc that that's been put in there. Um, 
Ah, that's excellent stuff. And I think I think um, Mike Myers would want to make it even more like political, yeah, in like a real cool well, way. Well, and that's like, and yeah, like the stuff with all the with weed and stuff like that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you can have a conversation about everything. Yeah. Ah, it's great. It's such a good idea, and I'm I'm happy to give it to Martin, my dog. Um, if you want to message us, DM us in the Discord, uh, Martin, my dog, and we'll get you your prize. But thank you very much for listening to a brief, brief episode of um, the Cold Popture Podcast. Mm. A brief, briefer than usual. It's still an hour long. Um, and if you enjoyed this, then please consider liking us and following us on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also um, join the Discord, where you can give us even more sequel ideas there'll be um, a link to them the show notes you can email us at coldpoptionmedia gmail.com tell us why um tell us why uh, um uh tyler was snubbed for his riddick slash <laughs> fast and furious crossover um in an email tell us that or if you want to support us financially you can do that over at patreon.com slash where you get all sorts of other treats like secret podcasts and um <laughs> what else do you get you get to vote on franchises we cover and you also get to give us something to talk about in the post credit scene which is coming up right after this music richard mm. let's i'll see you in the post credit scene <laughs> yeah <laughs> see you there buddy <laughs> <laughs>I think my dad could beat up your dad. Do you actually think that? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I mean, my dad's like bigger than your dad. Mm. But I feel like my dad is more of a softie than your dad. Okay. My dad's the biggest softie. Okay, you can't. You can either can either be tougher or he can be softer, Richard. You can't have both. Well, no, I I think my like my dad's done like a you know he 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 likes to stay fit was what I was. Right. Yeah, and my dad is wouldn't hit anyone. <laughs> my dad would think he was better than fighting. Well, my, my dad, dad my dad is violence. better than fighting, but it's a it's a question. It's a hypothetical <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think I think one thing I know is that if our dad spent any time together, they would quickly find uh, massive disagreements on very contentious subjects and probably quite happily fight. <laughs> uh, no, I th- I think I think our dads would would find common ground i think you know mm, okay something that's, more amicable that's yeah. such a dad thing to well do. i think i think you know my, maybe your dad would want to fight and disagree with my dad but i think my dad's you know such a lovely man that he would you know not want to fight mm. with your dad about those contentious so, issues right no no my dad would would back off if he could see that it, if, if he, as soon as my dad learned of any disagreements he would back off i think but it is it is such a that's something our generation has lost is the ability to be be pleasant with people you disagree with (laughs) something our dads were real good at Uh, i think i can still do that (laughs) 
okay, I have said, I've given like four offers in this post credit scene, and with every one, you've said no. <laughs> <laughs> you've no butted everything I've said for this comedy question in this post credit scene. Well, this is, uh, we're doing improv three. <laughs> this is a tease. You, you, this is all being a tease for improv three. You were like, I was like, your dad's, your dad could beat my dad because my dad's softer. And you were like, no. And then I was like, 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 oh, maybe because they'd have enough to disagree on. And you'd be like, you were like, no. And then I said, oh, that's what our generation's lost. And you were like, no, I haven't lost it. No, well, I think that, I think the comedy, the inherent comedy, was coming from me being super defensive about both myself <laughs> and my dad so when you That's tell true. me that i blocked three of your offers i'm telling you no i didn't 